0: On this episode of Uncle and the Young Bucks, we welcome special guest, Brendan Leister of Pro Football Focus and Brown's film Breakdown. You want football? He knows football, and we go in deep. That's next on Uncle and the Young Bucks. Let's do this.
1: Hey, this is Eric. This is Brandon. And this is Drew. And we are Uncle and the Young Bucks. Come on, Cavs. Gotta make it what in the world's been going on with the Cavs this past week? Nothing is the correct answer because it's the playoffs and the Cavs aren't in it. But they are currently searching for a new head coach. Some of the candidates that they've brought in and interviewed are JB Bickerstaff, a former Memphis head coach, Alex Jensen, a current Jazz assistant. Jamal Mosley, a Dallas assistant; Jawan Howard, a Miami assistant, and two Denver assistants by the name Jordy Fernandez and Wes Unsell Jr. I do not anticipate them settling with one of these candidates. I imagine they will continue to be interviewing people, probably uh, current assistant head co- or current assistant coaches for teams maybe in the playoffs right now, and uh, we will probably get to a name later on this uh, later on this off season. I'm going to pass it over to Eric.
0: Hey, guys. Hasn't been a great week for the Tribe losers of four of their last—I'm sorry, winners of four of their last ten, four and six in their last ten. They are now three games behind the Twins, which I warned you guys that the Twins would be pushing us all year. And then the worst news ever, we're still waiting on updates on Corey uh, Kluber's—I don't want to say gruesome, but if you heard the hit, uh, his fractured forearm, uh, we may have lost Kluber for the season by the time he comes back. So things are looking very bleak for the Tribe— All we can do is hope and pray that the offense can find a spark. And there are rumors of Mercado getting pulled up from the minors. Right now he's hitting a little over 300, and he is raking down in Columbus. And we really need to help because I don't know where any help's coming from. With that, Drew, what do you got about the Browns? 10-5,
2: touchdown! So what in the world have the Browns been doing the past week? Well, they've been drafting players. They pulled in a corner in Greedy Williams, a couple linebackers in Sion Talkie Taki and Mac Wilson. They grabbed a, a safety in Sheldrick Redwine, a kicker in Austin Seibert, uh, and a, a pretty small prospect in Drew Forbes and Donnie Lewis Jr. So, you know, overall pretty good draft for the Browns. Hut, well, guys, we were we were excited to be uh, joined by Brendan Leister of Pro Football Focus. He is an assistant football coach at Avon High School, an analyst for Browns Film Breakdown, an X and O's writer for USA Football, and uh, as well as his LeisterFootball.com. Uh, let's go to that interview right now.
1: Hello and welcome, everybody. We have on the podcast today Brendan Leister, an analyst for Pro Football Focus, an assistant football coach at Avon High School, an analyst for Browns film and the X's and O's writer for USA football. Brendan, how are you doing today? Thank you so much for, for being able to come on and talk with us.
3: Doing great, guys. I'm um, really excited to talk some Browns and some drafts. Um, just, you know, enjoying analyzing kind of what the Browns did and just looking forward to being on the podcast. How are you guys doing? Wonderful.
0: Fantastic, Fantastic Brendan. Thank you for coming.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, so Brendan, you know, knowing you as much as I do, I kind of know a little bit of background and um, how big of a uh, of sports fan you are, um, you know, basketball, baseball, football. But uh, what kind of made you choose to dive deeper into, into the wonderful uh, sport of football?
3: Um, so I just I always, you know, had a passion for it. Um, I wanted to go into scouting from a young age. Um, it was my goal for a long time Uh, I've coached high school football for I think I'm going into my eighth year of coaching now Uh, but yeah I just I was really passionate about football talent evaluation trying to understand the understand the ends ends and outs of the game the x's and o's Um, just got really invested in that Um, went to the combine a couple years or I think 2012 2013 and like got to like network a little bit with people just trying to get in at that point. Um, I eventually like transferred from the local community college where, um, I'm from to Akron. And from there, I kind of decided I wanted to pursue uh, more of the coaching side than the scouting side. As I went through my education at Akron, um, after finishing my master's degree, I decided to pursue a job, uh, Coaching at Hiram College, or at least coaching at the college level, was my goal. So I started reaching out to a lot of people about uh, coaching jobs at that level. Uh, Hiram College, the head coach there, reached back out to me. I got to be the quarterback's coach there in 2017. So that was pretty awesome after coaching high school for so many years at that point. I think I had coached five or six years at that point. Um, After one year of college, I kind of decided that that wasn't really the road I wanted to go down anymore. So I did some soul-searching. Looked around for some other, you know, jobs I could do. Um, moved to the west side of Cleveland. I live in Westlake now. And uh, I uh, got a job with Pro Football Focus. I was in the training process with them last year. Uh, it was pretty awesome. And then I also reached out to the head coach at, at Avon High School, uh, Coach Mike Elder. He's, he's incredible. He's, he's got an amazing culture at Avon. And uh, he, you know, brought me onto his staff. So now you know, I'm just... Orioles. We're, we're the Eagles. Uh, You're the Eagles? I thought you were the Orioles. Why did nah, I think it was A, the Orioles? Yeah, Avon Eagles. But yeah, anyway, yeah. So like, Well, oh, hey, that, <laughs> that,
0: that, that's not going to the cutting room floor. We're keeping that one in.
3: Yeah, that's pretty funny, man. But yeah, anyway, yeah. I just, uh, I really like, you know, anal- I've got really into analytics the past couple of years, just trying to understand that side of the game more too. But yeah, it started out with scouting, and now I just, I'm really passionate about coaching high school kids, um, and then also just, you know, analyzing the game and trying to help people understand the game better through writing articles or my tweets on Twitter and just all that good stuff.
1: Brendan, that that sounds like a really interesting kind of bring up for your football career and, and how how things have kind of turned out over the past couple of years. Uh, I know you said you, you you started working at Pro Football Focus not too long ago. Do you mind telling us a little bit how you got your start there and, and what your kind of role is and maybe where you see that leading in maybe the next coming couple of years?
3: Yeah, Um. so I, uh, I was looking for jobs at that point when I got finished with that year of coaching D3. Um, college, I just wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do, but I had always looked at Pro Football Focus as something that was pretty intriguing. Um, so... I reached out to them about opportunities, and I, uh, I kind of, I was. It's a pretty grueling training process. You know, they make you uh, break down a lot of games during the off season, trying to get the job, and then you get to a point where, um, where they throw some timed games at you, and you have to get through so many plays, and you have to have a certain level of accuracy. And if you don't reach these benchmarks, then you kind of get cut from the training process. So. Wow. Yeah. So there's, it's pretty grueling. It's, it's a tough process to get a job with them. And then, um, I think two or three, I think there's two or three timed games. And then if you do well enough on those assessments, then they give you an opportunity to do work for them. So, um, that was kind of how it, how it went. I spent all of last off season, uh, pursuing that, the job with them and finally found out like at the end of July that they were going to hire me, which was pretty exciting. Um, and then, so with them, I do analysis, which is like live game analysis, um, mostly college games. I don't really do analysis on NFL games because that's more for more tenured people, more pe- people that are more experienced just because NFL obviously is our biggest priority with us giving data to all 32 NFL teams. Um, of course, college is a priority too, but it's just, there's so many games and and we do give data to, I think, 50 FBS schools also, but it's just you know our lower level guys are like myself are able to do the college games more so so i do live game analysis and that's grading every player on every snap of every play Uh, we have a bunch of review processes too we're collecting uh, tons of data for the from those games and in the review processes other people uh, more tenured people are reviewing my work looking at it on all 22 Um, we have like three or four sets of eyes on every game during the week. And then we get some feedback after our game to see like how we did and what we can improve upon. And then my biggest role actually with PFF is quarterback charting. And that's, uh, you know, we chart every, every pass by every FBS quarterback and then every NFL quarterback uh, during the season. So how many hours a week do you put in on that, Brendan? Uh, how many,
0: let's see like, is it a full-time job? Is this, or is this a, you know, I put in full-time hours.
3: I (laughs) I don't put in, I don't get like full-time pay, so to speak at this point, but, but I do put in full-time hours during the season. At least, um, I work most weeks, five to six days a week. Um, I would say, yeah, I'd say that my mainly last season, I mean, I'd get up at six or seven in the morning and start working on quarterback charting. I'd work on it all the way up till football practice. And then some days after practice, if I still had work to do, um, I would go home and do more of it. So, you know, it's a grind, but the guys that are like way up above me, those guys work crazy hours. I mean, it's like 70 hours, 70 or 80 hours a week. So it's pretty intense stuff, but I really enjoy the quarterback charting stuff. And that's, uh, what i'm most most passionate about with it, so um yeah, I just I really enjoy that aspect of it. I'm excited to get going to my second season and uh hopefully well, you take can definitely on hear it in your
0: voice yeah, you can definitely hear it in your voice, I and mean, it sounds like you have a massive passion for it, and like I said, following you on twitter, i mean you you do have great insight, and I've caught many of your quarterback tweets so uh, it's it, I appreciate that work and and I usually when I see something you've said, I always feel confident presenting at, that out to the masses. So
3: thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, that's, that's humbling. Thank you. No,
0: Hey, it, you, you earned it. Cause you, you know what you're doing, but, uh, it, just a dumb question for you, but who was your biggest find, uh, of, of a player that, you, or maybe you've developed a player, coached a player or scouted a player who was the, the biggest person you were able to, to, you know, work on or
3: with. Okay. So, um, Let's see. Scouting uh, my biggest find would you, so could I just go with like talent evaluation, like a player that I scouted. Oh over yeah, years absolutely. That turned Anything, out yeah. being a pretty good player that went like drafted lower. Um sure. I would say that Travis Kelsey would definitely be my biggest. I actually ah the Ohio at one point. Yeah, that's true. But that wasn't really what brought me to him. I just thought that he was such a great athlete for his size at Cincinnati and. Um, It was funny because I mentioned going to the Combine and networking with those people. Um, And since I'm diving a little deeper on this stuff, you guys are asking questions that people don't usually ask me on podcasts. Um, So I was actually at the Combine that it was 2013. Yeah, because North Turner was offensive coordinator for the Browns. And I was in one of the hotels in Indianapolis um, in the lobby trying to network with people. And there was a bunch of Browns coaches that were in there. And I got into a conversation with North Turner and he asked me who who my a couple sleepers in the draft that year i mentioned travis kelsey and i think you know because the coaches get in on the evaluation process a little later on usually so i don't think he really knew who travis kelsey was at that point point. and i mentioned travis kelsey he goes who was his biggest game against And i said duke because it was the bowl game i think it was the belt yeah. bowl that year he just dominated against him it was crazy the speed that he had for his size was pretty uncommon and we see it now um but he said and that was the year and i really liked eifert too i kind of had them as 1a and 1b in that tight end class but he said you know it's not really impressive if you tell me that the best game that the guy had was against duke i you know when a coach asks you something like that they want to hear alabama or someone like that and you know that was right after notre dame had played alabama in the national championship so uh yeah, that was just an interesting little thing. And then I also mentioned Jonathan Cyprian to him. I was a big fan of him. Uh, obviously, Cyprian, you know, he didn't get kept by the Jaguars. He's had a pretty devastating injury, I think, within the past year or so. Uh, I think he's not on a team right now. But those were a couple guys that I really liked in that draft class that I had mentioned to North Turner that day. That's awesome. Have you coached
0: any kids that have gone on to bigger, better things?
3: Oh, let's see. Um. So I coached a quarterback at Rittman high school that went and he plays at Ashland. Now he's a defensive back. And that was when I, was I coached him. Yeah, that's true. You guys have a connection with him. <laughs> don't <you>? Yeah. Todd. <laughs> Boy, Great kid. Um, and then kid, I coached this past year at Avon, he's going to Bowling green and I'm not sure what position he'll be. You know, I coached quarterback. I've coached quarterbacks at Rittman high school at Hiram college and now at Avon. Uh, so, you know, both the kids I'm talking about are quarterbacks, but yeah, or they were in high school at least. But yeah, I'm not sure what position Ryan will play at the college level. But uh, I know that Todd moved from quarterback to DB when he went to Ashland.
2: Brendan, of the three, you know, coaching gigs that you've got, what, which one has been the most enjoyable, uh, in your opinion? Um, I actually coached it a couple
3: before that too, but of the three most recent ones. I mean definitely where I am now i'm I'm a part of a more successful culture and program now uh I, I enjoyed what we did at Ritman, of course. it was a small school, and we were kind of in a really tough conference with we kind of didn't have as much talent as other teams in our conference all the time, so it was pretty tough sledding um but it was there was something about trying to build that culture up that was special. you know we went five and five in two thousand and fifteen, and that was like. Incredible to them because that was their second non losing season in 10 years. But, but what coach elders build at Avon is incredible. Um, this was my first winning season as a coach this past year, and you know, this is I think this is going to be my eighth year as a coach. And it was my first winning season last year, and we went to the uh the state semifinal actually and got beat by Hoban, so it was pretty well, amazing. That's awesome. You know, congratulations, on that. yeah, congratulations, yeah, congratulations. Thank that you. I awesome. mean, I wish we could have won state, of course, but uh, but it was pretty unbelievable being a part of that coaching deep into November, something I've never been a part of, even when I was, you know, coach that year of college, the season didn't go that long. So it was pretty amazing. Like practicing on Thanksgiving was something I'll never forget. I mean, maybe I'll take it for granted in a few years if I stay at Avon and we keep doing that. But like my first time coaching and having practice on Thanksgiving, that's Pre, something pretty rare, I would say. I don't think very many high school coaches get to do that, you know, if you consider how many schools are around the country that never get to play that late in the season. so yeah, I definitely love what I'm doing at Avon now, and I hope that I can stay there a long time. That's awesome.
1: So you've talked about some of the the great things with coaching, and, and I, I think there are many great things that come from coaching and working with young players, um, taking a different kind of look at it. What are some of your biggest coaching pet peeves, maybe something that a player does during practice, during film? What's something that gets underneath your skin that isn't something that people who aren't maybe in coaching, uh, you know, get
3: exposed to? That's a really interesting question, because I think (laughs) that I typically come from it. I think I go at it from a different perspective most of the time, like I tend to blame coaches rather than blaming players in a lot of circumstances, especially when working with high school kids um i think that it's on the coaches to get the most out of the player in every circumstance i mean of course we all deal with kids that aren't you know they don't all have the best attitudes they're not all as invested as the coaches are but that's why we're coaches you know like there's very few players that go on to coach the game so you can't expect the kids to be at you know as involved and as dedicated to it as a coach is that's just not a reasonable expectation so um I try to have a lot of empathy toward the players and always try to understand their perspective. Cause I know that they have a lot of, a lot going on between, you know, all the, you know, they've got stuff at home. Sometimes they've got girls, they've got you know, sports, they've got a, uh, academics. There's all kinds of ki- things going on in these kids lives. So I think it's always important to like, keep that side of it in mind and just remember that it's a game. It's supposed to be fun and, as coaches, we're supposed to be there for the kids to help them become the best men they can be someday and the best husbands and fathers that they can be someday. So that's that's really how I view my role. So I wouldn't say that I have like specific pet peeves. I, I just usually try to understand the perspective of the of the athlete and uh, and just be a mentor for them.
1: I Brandon, am taking how old are notes. You? I'm 26. How old are you, Brendan?
3: You're the most
1: mature 26 year old person. Is it because of the beard? I know you've got this extremely great, you know, beard. It, it does, does having a beard like yours just add maturity and, you know, wisdom beyond, beyond what your, your age can actually give you. It's got, I don't think it right.
3: So. I, I don't know. I don't think so, man. I think the beard actually like maybe it brings me down a few notches on the maturity scale. You know, I, I rub it sometimes and like what? mess with people and you know, it just kind of adds to my, uh, my personality, you know, the flair of the flare well, of
0: Brendan. <laughs> I was saying when you were going through that list of stuff, I, I, I'm actually a youth coach. I've coached baseball for 10 years, and I, I was actually jotting down notes because a lot of what you said is exactly what I do when I coach. And, but I, I, I mean, there were so many good things that you said there. And, and I, people that listen to this podcast I, and that are mentors and coaches, I hope they take a lot from that because we as youth coaches and high school coaches, you know have a responsibility to those kids not all of them are going to make it even to college ball uh and and you're very you pragmatic about your approach and and I, I I take notes of a lot of what you said so thank you for that we need more people yeah, like thank you
1: yeah i appreciate more, that more, man
0: absolutely
3: one more quick
1: question before i pass it over to drew uh, getting back to the most important topic on the podcast how long have you been growing that beard for now <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> so my uh my wife, you know, she's a nurse now. And when she was in nursing school, she went on a medical mission trip at the beginning of 2016. So it was in January. And I started growing my beard when she was in Africa, she was in Ghana, Africa. So she was gone for two weeks. And when she got back, I had like, you know, a little, a little beard at that point. And then from there, I just, I've never shaved it. So, I mean, I've, I've trimmed it up, of course, like I've, If I let it go, it would be down to my ankles by now. But like, you could just work for Duck Dynasty then. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I I can't uh, grow
0: one, so I'm jealous.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely become a part of me now. I mean, I can't imagine getting rid of it, and at this point, I'm just growing it out. I'm actually thinking about growing my hair out now too. At this point, so I I've had like really short hair since high school, and now all of a sudden, I've decided I might just
2: let it go go full ZZ top. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know about that. But think, think about that. <laughs> what happens. Yeah. All right, so let's jump a little deeper. Um, we've touched base. Um, you know, I've let them know that you, you're a Cleveland fan through and through. Um, where did that passion for for Cleveland sports come from? Um, let's see. My dad. Uh, my dad was always a
3: Cleveland fan, so I was always around it. Um, there was definitely just with being close, being able to go to games Uh, growing up in Marietta, you know, that's two hours and like 45 minutes away from Cleveland. So I could go to games. Um, I think I really just got sucked in like with the Browns. Just, I just love the Browns from a young age, like loving football from a young age. And there was just something about always hoping the Browns would turn around, turn it around, I should say. And, and hoping that the Cleveland teams in general, like just always yearning for that championship, just wanting, like wanting the Cavs to win the finals and wanting the Indians to win the world series and the Browns to win a super bowl. Of course, like there was, I don't know. I think that just made me super passionate about it. And then I'm also just, I'm the type of person that if I get into something, I get super into something. Um, so like, if I'm interested in something, I guess I've never been the type that just has like casual interests in things. It's usually like I dive headfirst into you stuff. Know, that's interesting. I do really understand it.
0: Yeah, I had a question about that. So I'm I'm quite a bit older than you guys and, and it always was intriguing to me on how a younger fan like you, and I say younger because you said you're what, 25, 26 years old, Brendan? Yeah, 26, yeah. All right, so you're 26 years old. So the Browns pretty much for your entire life had either didn't exist or have basically sucked <laughs> for lack of a better phrase. So I, I grew up uh, you know, my first memory of the Browns was Brian Sype and right, Wright eighty-eight. So my first memory was devastation. Um, and I grew up through the, the co-star years and through the nineties and whatnot. So I have a, a connection to, you know, a golden era. I won't say the golden era of the Browns, but a golden era of the Browns. How did, how did somebody, especially not living in the Cleveland area, I mean, you, was your dad a Browns fan and, and how did you maintain that passion for the Browns? Because it's just, you guys grew up in this era that there really hasn't been much to cheer about.
3: Yeah. I, um, Yeah, my dad always a Browns fan, always a Cleveland fan. He's like super passionate, especially about the Indians. Like he just watches every game. He actually used to coach baseball when he was a lot younger. Uh, But yeah, I I think that there it was always for me. Like I just uh, just wanted to really understand it well. I got super into the draft too. Uh, I remember like watching, you know, when Browns. Well, that is our Super Bowl yeah exactly. <laughs> it was for so long, like when when they drafted Joe Thomas and Brady Quinn. I remember that really well. I remember the year when they passed on Haloti Nada and drafted Cameron Wembley. So getting into all that so young and getting super passionate about the draft and and the Browns and just football in general, um, I think that all just kind of meshed together yeah. and it well, speaking just about the draft interest. So speaking
0: about the draft, you know in in years like this. How do you stay engaged in the draft when it comes, you know, because for so long the Browns that again, like I said, this was our Super Bowl Mm -hmm. for so long. And in years like this, where we didn't have a first round pick and there's so much hype and so much anticipation for the upcoming Brown season. How do you as an analyst and you, you go in and you, you do all the scouting work. How do you stay engaged in the draft process, especially when it comes to our hometown Browns?
3: Oh yeah. Uh, I think that I'm just, like although i am a a huge browns fan i obviously want the team to do well um i'm a football fan first and i'm a you know a fan of just football in general the draft in general so i like to follow along with all the players at least at the top i used to write reports on like the lower you know the day 3 guys and all that i don't do too much of that anymore because that's a lot of time wasted if you're spending a ton of time watching those guys, in my opinion, because very few of those guys ever end up panning out. It's better to just watch them once your team drafts them. But, but yeah, I mean, just, uh, you know, I was very interested in like Kyler Murray versus Dwayne Haskins versus the rest of the quarterback class this year. Very interested in, uh, you know, just the, all the first round players and who's the top, you know, pass rusher, who's the top, uh, cover players in the draft. Who's the top, you know, pass protecting offensive linemen. I, all that stuff was very interesting to me this year. Um, I will say that I wasn't very interested in like who the top running backs were. Uh, yeah. I don't know how much you guys follow with like what, uh, you know, more modern analytics have found with regard to like the run, like the value of the run game and the value of the running back in recent years. Um, it's died but, down
0: over the past decade. I, I know that. Oh, so I'm you had mentioned two sure. names. You had mentioned two names. I have a, a question talking about this year's draft. Who did you have ranked as your highest quarterback?
3: Oh, definitely Kyler, Kyler Murray. Uh, I'm a big fan of his game. Uh, I don't. I'm not the type that ever lets like height and all that stuff really cloud my judgment when it comes to quarterbacks because I think that there's been a ton of talented players that have cu- could have gone on to be good quarterbacks that have probably been weeded out. You know, you talked about youth football. Well, a lot of times youth coaches put the tallest kids at quarterback. So there might be a shorter kid on the team that might, you know, he might grow a little bit when he hits high school, but there's shorter kids on those teams a lot of times that can play quarterback at a high level. So I think more often than not, if you see a talented, shorter guy um, playing quarterback at the college level, like especially at the D1 level, that guy's probably really, really talented if he was able to make, overcome all those coaches that tried to hand the job to taller guys because, I just I have a perspective that I think a lot of times those six five six 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 seven guys they get handed opportunities that sometimes the shorter more talented guys should be given a chance to earn and so that's kind of my perspective on the shorter quarterbacks and I think so it's you really were probably cool.
0: a big fan of Baker then too.
3: Uh, I did like Baker. My questions with him weren't related to his height so much. It was related more to the system. Uh, I had a lot of trouble evaluating him coming out of that offense just with all the open throws and the way that sometimes he would hold the ball and pass up easy completions underneath that uh, that stuff all. And also, I, I wasn't the biggest fan of his pocket presence as a prospect. And I'll also be the first to admit that I was wrong on him, that he, he's better than I expected him to be. I thought that he would be a solid starter in the NFL, but he, I think that he has a chance to be a top five quarterback for the next you know however long he plays i just think that he has that kind of talent clearly and and i'll admit that i missed on him but yeah i think that baker's success as a rookie definitely makes me a lot more comfortable with kyler murray coming out of that offense because obviously the offense was very similar the surrounding supporting cast was very similar also and and the play calling was similar it's just that i think uh And then it also helps a lot when it comes to my evaluations that I am privy to all the data that we collect at PFF. I mean, Baker was the, I, I doubted it last year and I learned my lesson, you know, Baker analytically, he was the most impressive quarterback that PFF has ever seen uh, coming out of college and Kyler Murray is just behind him. And then you factor in his running ability, which is rare i mean there's very so, few that, come along that can run like him and i think that he's a very good prospect
0: with kyler murray going to arizona we know what happened josh rosen gets traded to the dolphins mm-hmm. you know that was a unique situation you know where josh rosen was selected i think 10th last year yep. uh by the cardinals and they go ahead and trade him away so that was that was interesting uh yep. you know i i was a big rosen fan coming out of ucla last year and I, you know i i thought okay we need to get this guy that was actually one of my top choices even I was thinking Darnold or Rosen. I didn't even have Mar- uh, Mayfield on my radar for the longest time. So that it's just interesting to hear all that stuff. So, Do you think Arizona made a mistake, or do you think they did the most prudent thing in taking Murray and then resetting everything in their second year?
3: Oh, I absolutely think that it was the right decision because the quarterback is so valuable at the NFL level that the difference between even if Rosen becomes like – Let's say that he becomes a golf. You know, people have said that that's probably a realistic, you know, high level for him. Um, if he becomes even like golf, that's you know, probably around tenth in the league right now. that's that's good. That's really good. But I think that Murray projects as a player that could be the type that elevates the team around him when you consider that he can make plays outside structure. That other quarterback quarterbacks just can't do. I mean, we see it every Sunday with Baker Mayfield, the play breaks down and he has the scrambling ability and the instincts to get outside the pocket, evade pressure and make those plays with his arm down the field. Josh Rosen just doesn't have that ability. So. I know that his offensive line was bad last year, but he's also the type of quarterback that absolutely has to have a good offensive line because he had, he doesn't have that ability outside structure. He doesn't have the ability to really elevate his supporting cast at that level. And also like, if you look at his, his, uh, you know, ball placement, charting metrics and stuff like that, his accuracy, even at the college level, it wasn't nearly as high as like Mayfield and Kyler yeah. Murray were, yeah. for example. So, I liked Rosen more than I should have last year. Just looking back, I realize that now. I mean, even at that point, I did say that I expected Rosen to have early struggles because of that lack of ability to scramble. I thought all the other four top quarterbacks all had that ability to like get outside the pocket, extend plays. I thought they all had a chance at a little more early success than he did. So his struggles as a rookie didn't surprise me but i definitely thought that them moving on and even just getting a, six, a second round pick was good because uh you know if you were to tell them last year that um that he was going to have one of the worst seasons of any quarterback in the league last year they probably wouldn't have taken him there mm-hmm. and uh you know that has to factor into the evaluation i know that people want to say oh well the rookie year doesn't matter at all we got to just look at what he did at ucla well You can't do that because the rookie year did happen. You know, all that stuff's on film, and he had a very up-and-down and, and, uh, I mean, actually largely bad rookie year, and he's a big reason why they had that, you know, a terrible season and got the number one overall pick. So Mm -hmm. I just think that Murray is a, you know, a better prospect, and we'll see over time. We'll see how it pans out.
1: Yeah, I actually think that the the trade, you know, getting him for – from the Dolphins' perspective, getting a guy who has the potential to be a golf-like quarterback with a ceiling, you know, I think for a second-rounder, that's a pretty good deal for them. And then, you know, on the flip side with Arizona kind of being, being, you know, uh, pinpointed to everybody knowing that they were trading and that they didn't have a, you know, a great market for him per se since everybody else just took all their quarterbacks. I thought it was a pretty good trade for both teams overall. But uh, turning back to the Browns and kind of the offseason that they've gone through, you know, Looking back two years ago, I would have said that that was one of the greatest offseasons that you could have ever had by adding, you know, players like Jarvis Landry and going out there and, you know, showing that this team is ready to make the jump to being, you know, not just a team that's here, but a team that's ready to compete and a team that's ready to win. And we took that jump last year and everybody got really excited. And then this offseason happens and it's like were we planning on going for it all? Or are we just going to sit here and try to build slowly? And Dorsey has shown 100%. We are all in and ready to go. What do you think of the Browns off season to this point?
3: I think that their off season has been fantastic. Um, I agree hundred percent with what you just said that, you know, if they don't make a couple of the moves that they've made, people would be saying, oh, well, you know, they're just building, they're taking, you know, s- slow steps forward. But, like I mentioned earlier, I think Mayfield is the type of quarterback that he gives you a chance like now. I I really think that, you know, he was, I think ninth or 10th in our quarterback grades last year. And you compare that with some other much bigger names, like even Ben Roethlisberger, he was around 20th. You know, people say that Le'Veon Bell being out in the defense are the reasons the Steelers took steps back. I think the reason is that Ben Roethlisberger took steps back. So um, yeah, I think that Baker Mayfield absolutely gives them that chance. And the off season they've had so far has kind of shown me, I think that they feel that way about him, that he gives them a chance now and that they want to put as much talent around him as possible. So that's why they went out and, you know, added Odell Beckham, which is obviously, I mean, I don't need to go much in detail on that. It's an (laughs) enormous addition. Everybody knows that. I think it was a steal of a trade giving just 17th pick peppers, who is a good player but you give up good players to get good players. And then that late third-round pick, that's, that's stealing from the Browns' perspective. Um,
0: yeah, speaking about the yeah. Giants real quick, I, I'd be interested in letting or hearing your thoughts on, on Daniel Jones and why the hell the Giants drafted him. Was there something that maybe you see that no one else sees since you, you do this for a living? Because <laughs> I was shocked that they did not take Dwayne Haskins. I thought for
3: sure Dwayne Haskins was the perfect fit there. Um. Well, you know, if you listen to the GM, he claims that he saw a three series in practice at the senior bowl (laughs) and he knew he was the guy. He hadn't even watched any film. I thought he was
1: joking when he said that, to be honest with you, Brendan. And then I just realized, oh, wait, no, this is Dave Gettleman. Anything goes. Yeah. Yeah, man.
3: That's him. Uh, I saw some of Daniel Jones last season and then obviously I studied him closer this offseason. I was kind of intrigued at first, you know, uh, watching last year just casually like, I guess I shouldn't say casually, but like working through his games for, you know, quarterback charting and stuff, just going through it. I was like, ah, this guy, you know, he looks good compared to most of the guys that I do work on, but that's, you know, a lot of times I'm working on average college quarterbacks or even subpar ones so that you can't, that's not always a good measure. But I think that it's a guy that should have definitely gone on day two at some point. I wasn't really all that intrigued by him at all. Um, he just didn't, you know, his accuracy wasn't that great for me. Yeah, like he does, he, I don't think he moved the meter for anybody but the Giants. Yeah. yeah, if you don't have great accuracy, I don't think you're, you know, a very good prospect. I mean, people can get into the the height. I mean, and, accuracy
1: is needed for the quarterback position. Yeah, the Browns didn't think so for the 10 years that they were
3: drafting quarterbacks. Yeah, you would think it would just be height. Um yep. And just the arm strength if you listen to some people wouldn't you but but what's and what's really weird about Daniel Jones too is that he's a good athlete he runs like I think a four six something if you watch him play I mean they run all kinds of design quarterback runs with him but if you listen to the talk about him you would never realize that he's a really good athlete he had 20 something rushing touchdowns in college I think and so I actually is he, he the anti Eli Manning yeah they're not very similar at all <laughs> I made the joke last <laughs> sorry. week that, I, I don't mean yeah. to interrupt I'm sorry <laughs> no, it's fine. But, but I, I don't think Gettleman even realizes that really the offense they should be building right now is what the Ravens have built for Lamar Jackson. I mean, if they're really going to go all in with this guy, cause he's a much better runner than a passer. I mean, build an offense like, you know, like Buffalo did some with Josh Allen last year, you know, with the designed runs and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, he's a much better athlete than passer at this point, I think. And I'm not a fan. I was a much bigger fan of Will Greer and and uh you talked about Haskins. I think um you know, I think Haskins will be a solid starting quarterback in the league. He's another guy that I really questioned his ability when the play breaks down, um, outside structure, under pressure in the pocket. I think those are some really big question marks with Haskins. And I think going around fifteen was about where he yeah. belonged. I don't think that he was the type that should go like you know, we've seen a lot of drafts recently where it was like one and two or one and three were quarterbacks. Now, I could see why a team would take Haskins up there, but just for me, uh, I thought middle of the first round made a lot more sense. And I thought that Will Greer, I thought of all the other quarterbacks, I thought Will Greer should have had the best chance to go in the first round actually, and I I can't believe that he didn't go, you know, in the I second. know
0: that was a shocker myself. Yeah, I really liked I, I Will. like him too. Now, would you think a good – this is just my personal opinion. I look at Haskins, and even though I'm not a big fan of Roethlisberger, I actually think that he and Roethlisberger have very similar games. Is that a fair comparison, um, or do you
3: not agree with that? Um, I think they have similar builds. I think that – I think Ben probably, at a young age, much better athlete. Okay. Um, and And I also think that, like, what – the uncanny ability that Roethlisberger shows just under pressure in the pocket with guys hanging all over him, his ability to make accurate throws without his base underneath him, And also, you know, the scrambling ability. I mean, he's been a master at extending plays over the years and I don't really see that from Haskins. I think um, Steve Palazzolo from, you know he's one of our top analysts at PFF, and he's been at it a long time for us. He does great work. he He mentioned Sam Bradford as a comparison for Haskins. And if you look at the data and actually really, really look at both guys closely, I think that's actually a pretty good comparison because from a clean pocket, both guys are pretty good. But uh, when things start to go wrong around them, I think that's when things kind of go, you know troublesome.
2: So, Brandon, before we we jump into what the Browns did in the draft, um, I wanted to kind of get your opinion on another fit, a dude that we've seen uh, a couple times back in high school, Paris Campbell Jr., going to the Colts. Um, How do you think he's going to fit there, and do you think that was a good fit?
3: Yeah, I actually like that fit a lot. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of Campbell, honestly, as a wide receiver prospect. I think that he is more of a gadget type player the type of guy that you like scheme touches more so and try to get the ball to kind of in the short to intermediate passing game there's a lot of questions with his route running and the way that they used him at Ohio State just didn't didn't showcase that at all if you look at his role compared to the other receivers uh, clearly really really talented athlete though I've kind of compared him to like Cordero Patterson but like a smaller version of that just with the types of receivers that they are but i actually like the fit with the colts just because i believe that their average depth of target was 30th um or 28th somewhere around there in the entire league last year so they they're big on throwing you know short passes and getting the ball out of luck's hands really quickly to keep him healthy and all that and i think that that fits well with campbell because you know you have campbell run like drag routes and like shallow cross um yeah just shallow crossers and out routes just slants stuff like that you get the ball in his hands quickly he can do a lot of damage after the catch so i think if he was going to go anywhere going to a team like the colts where they like to get that ball out quickly is a really good fit for him
2: for sure and i think you know even watching him back then we i think we both agreed that he he definitely had the potential to be something and i just I, i don't know that we knew honestly at that point that he would end up you know being as good at Ohio state as he was and, and making the jump in into the league eventually. Um, but, you know, going through free agency, um, the Browns definitely had some holes on uh, the D line. Um, I think we thought that the linebacker was probably a need. Um, what did you think of some of the guys they snagged in the draft? Uh, do you, what do you think their fits are? um on this team and how how you see some of them being used
1: and who had the best name we had some amazing <laughs> names
3: yeah that's true i mean mac wilson probably is the best name right or i don't know greedy greedy that's a williams that's name. A hell of a name. yeah i know like mac, mac wilson it yeah. kind of reminds me of um oh shit I'm sorry what was the guy's name uh, yeah, it was a fullback that was named Max Strong. That was a fullback. Yeah, oh, thousands. Like that's a great name. Yeah, First team all name. But then, like Greedy Williams for a corner is a great name. Man, that's tough. Um,
1: I thought by signing Sheldrick Redwine that we would have to get LeBron back because of that, right? <laughs> like, he just <laughs> has I love to come is back, fine, man.
3: Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's got
1: to come back. He's going to request a trade back to Cleveland, and he's going to say, "Yeah, I'm going to pair up with Sheldrick Redwine, and, and I'm back with the Cavs." Yeah
3: that that
0: kid I like. I like I like red wine he's a I, that kid impresses me.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I like him too. Um but to get into the fits a little bit, yeah. I I love the Greedy Williams pick. I think moving ahead of the Seahawks at that point was really smart because I think that Greedy Williams is exactly the type of corner that the Seahawks have gone after over the years, uh the big, long, you know, physical guy that can also like play really tight man man-to-man to man coverage down the field with good instincts and good ball skills. So I love that they went up and grabbed him there. Uh, I think that he's clearly going to compete with Terrence Mitchell for the starting job opposite of Denzel Ward. Um, So that's, you know, that's going to be a great competition between those two guys. I don't think either of those two guys has really any versatility to move inside and cover the slot. So unless they add another corner, I would expect CJ Carey to be the starting nickel, but yeah, I'm really happy that they added, Another talented corner in the draft, and I would honestly love to see him add another veteran to um, Taki uh, Sione Taki Taki. I think okay. he fits it. Yeah, I think he fits at well linebacker. I think that it's it's pretty funny that Kirksey announced his name uh, on the night of the draft because I think Taki Taki's probably going to end up replacing him long term in Cleveland. That's exactly what I said. I, hey,
0: yeah. quite honestly, I can't wait to hear Doug Deacon try to say his name.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, he, he, uh, he plays, you know, high motor plays hard all the time. He's a great athlete. I know some of the scouting reports talked about stiffness, but I don't really see that honestly, when I watch him, uh, I didn't know a ton about him prior to the draft, but I took some time after they drafted him and really studied a few games. Um, he shows the ability, you know, for an inexperienced player at the position too, cause he played, uh, more on the edge and more like defensive end type role, uh, prior to this past season, but playing more of a will linebacker role, he was dropping in coverage, you know, covering wheel routes down the field, breaking up passes, uh, dropping under out routes, uh, you know, getting in the quarterback's vision, forcing him to check it down, and then he would rally to the flat and make a big hit on you know running backs in the flat. It was just I was really impressed by him his instincts in the uh, in pass coverage for a guy that doesn't have a ton of experience there, and then also. Uh, just really good pass rusher. He had a ton of pressures, a ton of sacks in college. Um, And then also just, you know, he plays plays hard in the run game. I think the one question with him is missed tackles, but he also has a unique athletic ability that allows him to get in positions to make tackles or, you know, that other guys don't necessarily have. You know, guys that can't run very well aren't going to get even close to position to miss those tackles in the first place where at least he gets in a position to like alter the the running backs course even if he does end up missing the tackle um red wine i think he'll probably mostly be a special teamer this year unless an injury happens i expect eric murray to probably back up uh burnett and randall at the safety spots i think murray is He's going to be a really strong asset for them, kind of like Body Calhoun was last year, because he can play either safety spot as well as covering uh, the slot. And he even played corner in college, and he has good numbers when he's played at corner too. So in a pinch, he could play pretty much any spot in the secondary. Uh, but Redwine, really good special teamer. He was on a ton of Miami special teams units, and he plays hard all the time on special teams, which is what you want to see from a guy that plays or that gets drafted day three because those guys a lot of times have to earn their spot on the team uh, by playing special teams and that's how they're going to thrive long term so
0: talking about day 3 picks what about Mac Wilson how does a player like Mac Wilson fall to the 5th round especially a linebacker coming out of Alabama who for all intents and purposes was a five star recruit and 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 I don't think he played terrible at Alabama so how does a player like he him drop to the 5th round to the Browns
3: yeah, I think that he was up and down in his college career, and he never quite lived up to the uh, billing, you know, as a five-star recruit. Uh, I don't think that he is quite, or I, I, I guess, I guess I should say I don't think, but I'm more confident than I think. I, I, I kind of, I know that he's not on the level of like Mosley and some of the other guys that they've had, just based off how he played in college and stuff. He. He's like a flash player where he'll flash in the run game. He'll flash in coverage. He'll show that, you know, the sp- the unique ability that got him to be become a five-star recruit. But I think on the whole, he leaves something to be desired when you watch him play. Um, he has made some, you know, big plays on special teams. I know going back to his freshman year, he had a highlight that was like all over Twitter uh, where he like laid someone out on on kick coverage so no,
1: we murdered him. I'm pretty sure
3: that kid yeah. died later that day. <laughs> exactly. Yep. That you guys know the play. Yeah. So it's scary. That, so that's something that's important again uh, for a day 3 player. But yeah, I I think that he's going to be depth at Mike linebacker. Um I think, you know, they signed a, Dar- a Darius Taylor. I expect him to be the backup at that spot, but I'm not 100% sure how they'll use the linebackers yet, as far as the depth, so it's possible that Taylor will compete at Sam Backer with Avery or with uh, Ray Ray Armstrong. So I'm interested to see how those guys are used. But I think Mac Wilson clearly will be the second or third Mike linebacker, and he'll have a role on special teams. I wouldn't expect him to really play much defense this year unless there's a, an injury or two that happens. But long term, clearly a really talented guy. You just have to hope that the coaches can get it all out of him. Good, good, good. A kicker. So, yeah, the, yeah. the, the kicker. Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
0: What's that it's been a big topic of conversation yeah. in Cleveland Sports Talk this week. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
3: I mean, it, it should be. that uh, There hasn't been a ton of successful kickers that got drafted over the years. It's just not a very common thing. So um, pretty surprising, too. You know, right before the draft, I think a media guy asked Dorsey. He was like, hey, what do you think of drafting punters and kickers? And Dorsey just goes, well, in Green Bay, we drafted one, and he failed. In Green Bay we drafted you know he mentioned both positions. he's like, "Well, we tried that one time, didn't work out. We tried that the other time didn't work out either. so that's kind of all I've got to say about that and I'm thinking, there's no way in hell that this guy'll draft a kicker or a punter and then he actually does it in the fifth round, so they must really see something in cyber um i'm not a you know I'm not a special team's guru i'm not I don't know much about kicking mechanics and all that. um I know that the guy didn't have. I think his longest field goal in college might have been 51 yards. Yep. I watched, yeah, my buddy that I work with as a joke sent me a cut up of all 19 of his field goals from last year. <laughs> <on all 22. laughs> so I went through that. Like a mixtape, oh yeah. Yeah, And I tweeted about it. I was like, yeah, I just watched all 19 of his field goals from last year. I was like, I- extremely exhilarating stuff. Just, <laughs> I got all the tape like, I need on this
0: that, guy. That lasted all of 19 yeah. seconds? Yeah.
3: Yeah, I was like... I'm, I sent a message to uh, – we've got like a Browns fans group that we've got uh, at PFF. And I was like sending them all this hyperbole. Like, oh, this is the next Vinatieri. Greatest draft pick Dorsey will ever make. <laughs> all this stuff. And then and then there was a field goal. It was the 17th out of 19. And it hits the uh, the upright against Texas. And I go, oh, bust. Fail. You yep. can't play. He's going to fail against the Steelers because he failed against Texas. Like all this, you know, just being ridiculous. But, yeah, I mean, he's a kicker. Uh, It it doesn't take much to beat out Greg Joseph, and that's my analysis.
1: (laughs) I almost wish we still had Todd Haley around to hear what his comments would have been around that draft pick. Yeah, that I loved that. That
2: was so (laughs)
3: hilarious to me.
2: Yeah. All right. So, uh, yeah, what – you know, Drew Forbes, prospect X – you know what mm-hmm. what did you see in him that made him such an intriguing prospect coming from a smaller school?
3: yeah he um he's a really, really good athlete. Um, I know this guy on on Twitter. It's at Mathbomb. Uh, I forget what his name is exactly. I think it's Kent Lee Plate maybe, and he does this like score, it's an athleticism score for like every prospect, and he makes these cards and then he tweets them out and it's pretty cool. It's like a profile on every guy. And uh, he did one on Forbes and, you know, he was in like the 90th, 90 plus percentile for an offensive lineman. So we're talking about a really, really good athlete that dominated his level of competition and um, just clearly a really nasty guy on film. And as far as what the Browns do on the offensive line, I'm from here on out, I'm pretty much just going to defer to uh, to Campin, the, you know, the offensive line coach, because I really love. I love what he's done you know, in Green Bay over the years, developing later-round picks. He's done it over and over. And I love that they didn't go out and address offensive line on on day two necessarily because I think that this is the type of thing that you can do when you have a great offensive line coach is you can draft guys later on, get them in the building, get them in the system with a, with a good offensive line coach, let him develop the guy for a couple years. And then hopefully you can let go of someone that's paid maybe more than they should be and – slot them in at a cheap price and you can just kind of keep recycling on the offensive line, but sustain a high level of play. Exactly.
0: And that's what makes me not worry about Corbett at all. Uh, Because I know when we, we made that trade and everyone's like, well, we only have Austin Corbett sitting back there. And that's why you were talking about with our offensive line coach, I trust in what, you know, we're doing the same kind of thing we did over in green Bay. So it's, it's, it's kind of, I'm not as worried about it, to be honest with you. And basically about what, you know, exactly the reasons you said, Brandon, Brendan,
3: yeah, and I'm also going to defer to him, obviously, on like whether a guy plays guard or tackle. Um, I think that they they announced him as a guard when they picked him, so that was like I do this depth chart on Twitter that I tweet out and I update it all the time to try to give people try to give fans an idea of where players will fit on the team and stuff. I slotted him in at left guard, I think, as like the third stringer behind Cush um, and Batonio. But if Campen thinks that he has the ability to play tackle, then heck try him there i mean you should always try a guy at tackle first and let him fail at tackle because guards are a lot easier to find than good tackles so if this guy can
2: hang at tackle try him out there absolutely so the last pick donnie lewis jr Mm -hmm. uh another db um obviously just depth if he makes the team what did what did you see with him
3: um, he played a ton of snaps in college. I think thinking back, I think he played around 2,800 snaps in college, uh, four-year guy. He played all four years at Tulane. He had a lot of plays on the football. Um, I think he has versatil- versatility to play inside and outside, which like I said before, whoever the fifth and sixth corner are going to be, they're going to have to have that versatility because Ward is only going to go inside when his man does because he's probably going to be matched up with a specific guy a lot. And then Greedy and... Mitchell, I don't think they really have that versatility to play inside so much. So uh, Lewis, you know, he's going to have to show ability to play as a nickel, I think, to make the team, and he's really going to have to show out on special teams during the preseason. Um, But overall, I mean, it's a guy, you know, seventh round pick, it's those guys have it tough. It's it's a low chance that he ever, you know, amounts to a ton. But but you got to hope that, you know, you got to hope that he does just just because we're Browns fans, and you hope for the best.
2: <laughs> That's all we do. <laughs> That's all we have. Last half full, baby.
1: Last half full. Uh, so, Brendan, I'm going to ask you to do something that I absolutely resent, but I'm interested to hear what your response is going to be. I don't like when people try to give a grade, per se, on a draft class because we don't know how to evaluate these guys until you know maybe three, four years after their draft and have played – those amount of respectable years in the NFL, but give me your way too early
3: Browns twenty nineteen NFL draft grade. I agree with a hundred percent with what you said. Uh, by the way, I'm not a big draft grade guy. Um, I'll say, I'll give him, I'll give him a B. Um, I mean, how can't you
0: give him an A? We got OBJ. I
3: agree. I agree with that. Seventeen pick for OBJ. I'm looking more. Actually, I'm actually, I'm going to switch it up. I'm going to go C plus and I'll give my, uh, my reasoning for that. I, I love, well, I'm glad you're not portal. my teacher. Holy crap.
0: Your <laughs> curve sucks. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'll give my reasoning. Hopefully you understand. So I would have liked, so obviously OBJ is a fantastic pick. I already talked about the trade, but that's not necessarily, you know, a pick on draft day that they made. So let's just look at the guys that they brought in over the weekend. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think trading up for Greedy Williams, that was a good decision. I like the player a lot. It's also a really valuable position and a need position. So I love that move. Um, Sione Takitaki. I think that's a good move. I um, I think that I would have liked to see them move back a couple times, accumulate some more 2020 picks, also maybe add another pick or two this year just to keep adding talent to the roster because there's some still some spots on the team where they lack depth, like defensive line, um you know you look at their backup defensive tackles it's Carl Davis, Brian Price um those are some Von, real household names there. Von Coley <laughs> and then there's um I think his name is Devereux Lawrence. So these are guys that you know there's huge question marks and Joby played 930 snaps last year having Richardson instead of Coley. Yeah, that's fantastic. Obviously huge upgrade. He he can actually rush the passer and give you something and you know give you something in general but behind those two guys they have next to nothing so not addressing that position at any point during the draft that's pretty questionable um there were a lot of people that thought it was a really good defensive line draft uh defensive line class so if we don't see them add like like you know there's the rumors now about gerald mccoy and all that and i don't know how they'd even figure that out salary cap wise but if they don't add another defensive tackle let's it's really questionable if one of those guys gets injured and also just with the rotation. So I have to take that into account with, the, with evaluating their draft. Um, But I like the talkie-talkie move. I just, I think in general, just generally speaking, I would have liked to see them since they moved up and grabbed greedy. I would have liked to see them move back once or twice and just stockpile a couple more picks. Also taking a kicker in the fifth round that that's just really, really questionable. Like I already touched on that, but you know, taking Zane Gonzalez, even at the time, I mean, he had broken records at the college level for kicking, and he was a great kicker prospect. And they took him in the seventh round, and I questioned that pick just because picks on kickers don't work out very often. They spent a fifth. I mean, fifth-round picks have a much higher chance of pan- panning out than a seventh-round pick or an undrafted that pick free got agent. got you just, last year. Yeah, exactly, just if you look at the numbers. So I think there were some questionable – decisions made if you just look at the process. But but in general, I do like the players that they added. Um so overall, yeah, I'm gonna go C plus and and I, I love obviously I love Beckham. I think they added a lot of talent to the roster. I think probably three or four of these guys will impact the roster for the next four years, hopefully even longer. Uh but I think there's definitely things that you can question. And and also I think looking at the undrafted free agent class, they brought in only like one or two defensive tackles in that. So, and and neither of those guys were like big names either. So they're going to have to, they're going to have to surprise us. One of these guys on the roster is going to have to surprise us as defensive line depth, or uh, they could be in trouble this fall at that position.
1: So you touched upon, you know, maybe needing some more depth at the defensive tackle position after this you know, off season is kind of wrapping up here. What are some of the still biggest holes or maybe more so areas of depth that need to be addressed other than maybe the defensive tackle position?
3: Um, I think that their roster is in a very good spot right now for the most part. I think, like I mentioned before, I would like to see another corner added. Uh, it doesn't have to be a big name. They they brought in Jason McCourty I think in, in June before the season where they went 0-16, but he played really well that year So you can get talented players later in the offseason uh, I think even though I do like Eric Murray and Morgan Burnett for what they are I think safety is still a position that you could you could add a guy and hopefully he surprises you and plays at a high level and beats those guys out um, that might not be likely with what they're paying Burnett necessarily. I think he's making $6 million this year maybe. But, um, you know, so it looks like he's making starting money. But still, that's a position that could be upgraded. Um, I think that linebacker is still something where you look at some of the names that are going to probably be depth on the roster, and and it's shaky. Um, counting on rookies, even though Mac Wilson has talent and even though Taki Taki has talent too, those guys might not be ready to really – Play key depth roles as rookies. You just never know how how rookies are going to come along. So that's that's another spot where you could add someone. Maybe I mean Zach Brown is still out there, which is insane. He was. I He's think, got a good band, by the way.
0: <laughs> that <is nice>.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He he graded in the top five for us, I think, amongst um, inside linebackers last year for PFF. So his his grades really don't correlate to you know his uh, availability right now. And then I think also like offensive tackle that is probably the only other spot that comes to mind really where Greg um, Robinson I like what he did last year but he still was up and down And I think that the scheme and also the quarterback kind of made him look better at times than he was um, he had some very key holding penalties also that negated some pretty huge plays uh, where he was in bad spots and he had to hold um, Hubbard still question marks about him some people even think you know, I was on that podcast the other day, I think Road Dogs and the guy was telling me he doesn't even think Hubbard'll make the team. I mean, I, I differ with that, but but that was what he was saying. Uh, they have Kendall Lamb as the backup offensive tackle who was the only good pass protecting offensive tackle for the Texans last year, but in the run game the guy looks like a tight end at times. So, it's like, okay, I mean, pass protection's obviously in the modern NFL more important than run blocking, but you can't have a guy get completely manhandled on almost every run play either so there's kind of a balance so he's likely to be the swing tackle so I think offensive tackle is another spot where if there if there was a guy which there probably isn't anybody on the veteran you know free agent market right now but if there was a guy that could help at that position provide good depth compete for a spot that would be the other position I would think would uh be a need on paper uh, this has been just a treat,
0: Brendan. I, I really appreciate everything and your, your in-depth insight and everything. been fantastic. I don't, guys, I don't know if you have any more questions uh, for Brendan. I mean, this has been I, I mean, I, I can't thank you enough, Brendan.
3: Yeah, thank you guys. It's been awesome. I really enjoyed talking to you. Um, it was It's fun because you guys went at it from a different angle Um I've never <laughs> really talked about. Well, like, and I know, do want to tell you all that stuff.
0: I do want to tell you. I actually knew that Avon was the Eagles, but I'm a Berea graduate, so you know that they're now a rival. So it's really I, I just had to throw a little dig in there.
2: <laughs> Berea Mid
0: Park, or was it back
3: when it was Berea? Back when Berea. it was Berea. This guy's okay. old, Brandon. <laughs> Real old. He's game against them last year. Man. <laughs> He's uncle game last for year. a reason. <laughs> so week ten last year, we played them. That game was unbelievable. They have a quarterback that's going to Rice, or at least he was. I think I heard he decommitted, actually, but he had a cannon. They put up – I think the final score of that game, I think we scored, what was it, 77 or 84. They scored – man, they scored over 50. That game was oh, gosh. unbelievable. It, it went score. until yeah, almost 10 so I think.
0: I'm so old that they were the Bria Braves back in the day, and it was the Mid-Park Meteors. Uh, so it was back before they combined the schools. So I you know I knew about Avon. I just, I, I was a little dig, bad joke, but <laughs> oh, it led to a great conversation. So was that yeah, back man, when that dinosaurs was. used to walk on the earth. <laughs> That's the worst <laughs> joke I've ever heard.
1: <laughs> Sorry.
2: Well, Brendan, we, uh, like Eric said, we, we thank you so much for, for coming on with us today. I think we all can walk away learning a little bit, feel a, uh, a little more informed, uh, and we, we hope to talk to you soon. Yeah,
3: thanks, guys. And, uh, just ask me to come on anytime, and I'll try to make it work. Take care.
0: You can catch Brendan on Pro Football Focus, Brown's film Breakdown, on the web at com, and follow him on Twitter, at Brendan Leicester. So, hey, guys, this is Eric. We're signing out again. I want to thank Brandon Leister for joining us on today's episode. I want to thank Brandon and Drew. And with that, Brandon, if you want to
1: tell everybody where they can find our podcast and where they can find us on social media. Thank you again, guys, for listening. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Podbean, Radio Public, Stitcher, TuneIn, the list goes on and on. You can also follow us on Twitter at Uncle Young Bucks, where we'll be updating you on all things Cleveland and Ohio sports. Thanks again for tuning in, and we look forward to hearing from you guys next week. Have a good one.
2: Catch you next week, guys.